Good morning. It's good to see you. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders, and we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today, whether this is your first time or your first time in a long time or you're here every week for the last 25 years. We are absolutely thrilled that you're with us, worshiping with us here in the building, worshiping with us online. If you're worshiping online, we'd love for you to come and worship here in person whenever you get a chance. If I have not yet met you, um, I would love that opportunity. And the way that that can happen fairly easily this morning is after service is over with, I'll be out in the foyer area and just swing by and say howdy to me and introduce yourself. That'd be great. Another way is that you can uh, fill out the connection card, which is this card right in front of you in a chair near you. And you can fill that out and drop that in the offering plate when it's passed a little bit later. And that would give us a chance to get to know you as well. Uh, when you came in this morning, hopefully you picked up a worship guide on the back side of the worship guide is a place where you can take notes as we go along in the sermon this morning, and hopefully you'll find that helpful. A um, couple of things real quick. Don't miss out on all of the ways that we can serve our community um, always, but specifically here in the month of November. Several of them were mentioned on uh, the announcements this morning, and uh, if you ever want to catch the announcements again, you can always go to the website, and I think they are there. Um, they're at least, on, my brain is not working well this morning, I'm sorry. Um, or it's at least on our sermon archives. Uh, Y'all pray for me. My voice is struggling a little bit this morning, and last night was a long night, and so I just pray that uh, I would uh, push through uh, kind of some, uh, some things this morning. All right, one other thing real quick. November the 19th, two weeks from today, if you call Living Hope your home, whether you are a member, a regular attender, or you'd like to become a member, we want you to come be a part of our family celebration. It's happening that evening at 5 o'clock. Uh, we are doing a potluck meal, and so just bring a main dish and either a side or a dessert, and we'll share it with one another, and we'll have a family celebration at 5 o'clock. We'll enjoy a meal together, time together, hear what God is doing in the life of our church, as well as uh, briefly discussing our plans for the 2024 budget, uh, because we'll be voting that in the on that in the month of December. All right, if you uh, have a Bible with you, go ahead and open that to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible in a seat near you, underneath you, in front of you, somewhere around. Uh, there's a black hardback copy of the Bible. You can use that during the service, and then if you don't have one, or you know someone in your life that needs one, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift to you uh, this morning. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word in their hands. We are about to wrap up the book of Acts. Acts is 28 chapters. Today we're going to preach through 26. Next week we'll preach through 27. We'll take a brief break during the, uh, November and December as we look at Christmas, and then in January we'll finish up in about two or three weeks and we'll be done with the book of Acts. But as we've walked through the book of Acts, we've seen recurring themes that come up over and over and over and over again. Uh, the first one we see uh, that comes up all the time is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, perhaps you're familiar with this verse. It's there on your screen. Uh, it says this. Um, it's the words of Jesus. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, or as uh, Howard was talking about a moment ago, you'll be the ones who give testimonies of me. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so in this, we see that we are to be God's witnesses, witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, which is why we're calling this portion of our study in the book of Acts to the ends of the earth. 
And this theme of being God's witness to share the name of Jesus wherever we go is a recurring theme that happens over and over in the book of Acts, and actually it's impossible to miss this theme. However, it's easy to miss this theme or live this theme out in our lives. So as we read the Bible, as we read the book of Acts, it's clear that we are to preach the name of Jesus, but if you're a follower of Jesus, it still is easy for us to overlook that in our daily lives. We know that we're called to share the name of Jesus, and yet at times we find it a problem to do so, and we just don't end up doing it. Now, why is that? Why is that? Lots of reasons. It could be fear of other people and what they think of us. It could be a sense of inadequacy. I'm not a preacher. I'm not the missionary. I didn't go to seminary. I don't know all of the answers. Along with that, we could be afraid that somebody's going to ask us a question that we cannot answer. And there could be other reasons that we use. But it all boils down to one thing. And that is, it's spiritual warfare when it comes to preaching the name of Jesus. You see, Satan does not want us to proclaim the name of Jesus to others, and he's going to throw anything our way to distract us or keep us from that. And the question is, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you going to let Satan win that spiritual warfare, or are you going to stand up in the power of the Spirit and live out the task that he has called us to? And so here we are with Paul. And we find out that Paul, once again, as always, is an example for us to follow in how we can and should share our faith. If you're familiar with the story of Scripture, you probably know the name of Paul. But if you're not familiar with the story of Scripture, the name Paul may not mean much to you. And so let me kind of tell us who Paul is. Paul is a guy, as we'll see in the story that we read, that at one time was not following Jesus, and then his life was radically changed by an encounter with Jesus, and he began to follow Jesus closely. He became referred to as an apostle, and he went all over the then-known world preaching the name of Jesus, planting churches, and sharing his faith. Every single opportunity he had, he shared the name of Jesus. And so here we see Paul in the account we're about to read where he stands up and communicates the gospel to any and everyone that he runs into. As we left off our story last week, we saw that Paul was in Roman custody. He was in the custody of the Roman Empire and he was proclaiming, or or actually he was uh, asking to be sent to Rome to go to Caesar to have his case heard there. And so he's in jail, he's in prison awaiting his Uh, trip to Rome to be heard by Caesar. He's in the town of Caesarea at this time. And while he's there, the governor of Judea, his name is Festus, asks him to talk to King Agrippa. And so King Agrippa is there, and Paul then looks at this as an opportunity, as always, to not defend himself, but rather to preach the gospel. He jumps at it. That's what he wants to do. And so here he is in front of King Agrippa, a few other uh, kind of uh, dignitaries, if you will, and he's not concerned about defending himself, but is wanting to preach the name of Jesus. So that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 26. We're going to read all of Acts chapter 26. We're going to start, though, with verses 1 through 23. (coughs) Here's what it says. So Agrippa, like I said, he's the king said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense, and here's what he said. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, 
that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation, that's being the nation of Israel, and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes, that's the 12 tribes of Israel, hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, the hope of Jesus, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. I'm going to pause for a second. What is going on is Paul is proclaiming the resurrection of the dead, specifically of Jesus Christ and the difference it makes in our lives. And they're looking at him like he's crazy. And he's saying, if you really believe in the God that exists, the creator God, how in the world is it hard for you to believe that he could actually raise something from the dead? It makes no sense that that's hard for you to understand. Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. He's talking about his past. He said, I not only only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. This light was brighter than the sun. It shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, probably Aramaic, Saul, Saul, that's another name for Paul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I know what you're thinking. What in the world does that mean? I'm glad you asked. We'll look at that in a moment. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So let's look at this text a little bit closer. Agrippa, he's the king. Agrippa actually has some ancestry in him that is Jewish. He's not full Jew, but he does have some ancestry in him that's Jewish. 
He doesn't follow the Jewish religion, but he's aware of the Jewish religion. In fact, you heard Paul say, I am grateful that it's you that's hearing me today because you know our customs and you know our controversies and you're completely familiar with the things I'm about to talk about. And here's why Paul was happy about that. Paul was going to take a common familiarity with Judaism and use it as a bridge to share the gospel. And so he said, Agrippa, these words are for you because you understand what it means to be a Jew, and now I want you to understand what it means to be a Christian. Now, I know he didn't say that with his words immediately, literally, but that is where he headed with the sermon that he was about to share with this man. Um, he starts with a heavy emphasis on the fact that he was raised as a Jewish man. He was raised from a young age, and everybody around would be able to proclaim that if they were willing to testify that I was raised in a strict Jewish home, and I was raised to follow the strict pattern of the Pharisees. And because of that, you need to understand that I still follow the Jewish faith. It's just now I follow it completely because I understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so he's saying, I haven't abandoned my faith, but rather I'm living it out to its completion. And so he's wanting to point uh, Agrippa and those that are listening to this truth. So here's the deal. When he talked about sharing Jesus with those around him, he started with a simple pattern to witness about Christ. He didn't do this every time, but in this scenario he did. And here is the model that you and I can follow. If you find it difficult to share your faith, then perhaps you could follow the model that Paul shares with us. So here's the first thing. It's there on your notes. The first thing we can do is tell your story. Like, how do I share my faith with somebody else? I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all together. Here's one way you can begin to tell the story of Jesus Christ is by first telling your story. We heard Howard share his story a moment ago, and in this account of Paul's life, we see that Paul shares his story. So as you look at the verses I just read, we see that Paul began to tell his account of his life before he ran into Jesus. So if you look at verses 4 and 5, he begins to tell how he was raised in Jerusalem in the Jewish faith. I've already mentioned that, and anybody around him would know this is kind of his background. And so he's telling how he was raised. He was raised to follow God, right? And then he shares in verses 9 through 11 that his following God, his zeal for God, actually led him to persecute, to imprison, and at times kill followers of Jesus. He says there in verses 9 through 11 that he would punish them, that he would put them in prison, that he would approve of their death, that he would try to get them to blaspheme the name of Jesus, or in other words, to deny Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, guys, I was just like you. You're accusing me of doing something bad for following Jesus, and I was once in your shoes as well, and I was doing the very same thing, and I was blindly following what I thought was the way of God, but we're going to see it wasn't. So he begins by telling his story about who he was before he met Jesus. So that's the first way we tell our story. Who were you before you met Jesus? The second portion of our story is to tell how we came to know Jesus. And so Paul begins to share about his conversion. 
So if you'll read or look at verses 12 through 18, we see Paul's conversion story for the third time. He told it, Luke told it originally in chapter 9, and then a couple of chapters back, he told his story again, and now he is talking to Agrippa, and he tells his story again. And the reason he does it is because he wants his story to be known, not only who he was before he met Jesus, but how he met Jesus and how his life was impacted because of it. It was in his past life that he was taking a journey to Damascus. And because of his desire to imprison Christians, he was going there. And he begins to tell how he was struck by a bright light. And that light came from heaven, which is an indication it came from God himself. And God caught his attention. It said that he and those around him fell to the ground because of this bright light. And then he heard the voice of God. And it was in the voice of Aramaic, his own language. And God, Jesus himself, said, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, stop resisting me like I don't remember reading that well I'll take you back to the thing I said a moment ago and that is at the end of verse 14 Jesus says to Paul it is hard for you to kick against the goads what he's saying is stop resisting me you see a goad would be a stick that they would use to prod and push and lead and guide an animal that animal wouldn't really like that stick sticking in his side. And so he would kick at it and try to resist it and push it away. And the reality is, every time he kicked, it, it was inevitable that the goad would come right back at him and he'd have more pain, right? And he's saying that an animal needlessly kicks against the goad whenever the master is trying to direct the animal in the direction it should go. And what God is saying is, Paul, I have a plan for you. Stop resisting my plan. Stop pushing me away, and listen to my voice. He told him, I have a purpose for you. What is that purpose? He said, I want you to be a servant and a witness. You're going to tell others the things you see me do in your life now and in the future, and I have a specific purpose for you. And Paul, thank goodness, responded to what God was saying to him. Paul went on by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write much of the New Testament. And we have the New Testament to read gratefully because of Paul uh, submitting to the will of God. And he then went around the world preaching the gospel to those around him. But what he's saying is, this encounter with God completely flipped my life upside down. I was pursuing Christians to kill them. And then because Jesus showed up, instead of pursuing Christians to be killing them i'm pursuing people to point them to the truth of who jesus christ is and so the third aspect of his life story was he then finished his story by telling what god had done to change his life after conversion and so essentially when we tell our story we tell about who we were and what life was like before we knew jesus how we came to know jesus and then how our life is different because of what Jesus has done in our life. And so in Paul's example, whenever he gets to this third portion of the story, we're in verses 19 through 23. And he stood up to Agrippa and he said, because of this encounter with Jesus, I obeyed the word of God and I went out and did the very thing that God called me to do. And I began to preach Jesus. There's no doubt that the only reason Paul would make that switch is because of an encounter with the living Christ. He would not have done it on, our, on his own, but instead God reorchestrated his life. 
And then you'll see in verse, um, let's see, verse 20, that he began to immediately declare the gospel by going on into Damascus and preaching Jesus in Damascus. And then it said he went to Jerusalem. And then it said he went to Judea. And then it said he went to all of the Gentiles. That doesn't sound all that different than Acts 1.8, does it? Whenever he says the wit that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Paul does the same sort of thing as he obeys the call of God on his life. Because of his following Jesus in this regard, it says that he went on to be arrested. And yet, he points out that God has been with him to help him. In verse 22, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. That God was with him. That God was providing a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's providential care and how God's providential care for us is unstoppable. And Paul says that God's loving providence was all over his life from the beginning of his salvation all throughout it. Guys, I don't know what you're going through in your life, but God's providential care is on your life. Last night, as we gathered well after the midnight hour, by the way, for the first time in my life, I think, I saw 2 o'clock come twice. I don't know if you know time change, but I saw it come the first time. It was so good. We went backwards and went back to 1 and found 2 o'clock again. But as we gathered there at the ER, as we spent time with the gardeners, we saw God's providential care in their world and in their life that while their daughter has been injured, we don't know how severely that God was providing for them as friends and family and people began to care for them. And we saw God's hand on her as we got better news than what we might have expected to begin with. Now, God's providential care does not always look like that. We don't always get the answer we're looking for, but the reality is that God's grace is sufficient in whatever we're facing, and his providential care will help us always. You see, when Paul said that God had helped him from that day forward, you have to understand that part of that was that Paul was stoned, not like marijuana, but stoned as people threw stones at him. He was beaten with rods. He was left for dead. He was in prison. He was drug out of the, of the city. He faced obstacle after obstacle, but he was bold enough to say that God had helped him along the way. Guys, God loves you, and he is with you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is with you, but you're not going to experience his providence like I just described unless you come to a point where you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so Paul says, because of what Jesus did in my life, I know that he has been with me. I realize I left out a sec something a moment ago, and that is he said that in the conversation with God, God said, I am going to deliver you, in verse 17, from your people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you the Gentiles, but I'm going to deliver you from them. He's saying, you're going to face obstacles and problems, but I am with you. God is with you. So Paul tells his story. Paul tells his story he says, this is who I was before Jesus came into my life. He came into my life and changed everything about me, and now I'm living my life differently. It's some of what Paul, uh, Paul Howard is not Paul, Howard said that he knew stories about Jesus, but he wanted to know Jesus. One way that you and I can begin to share our faith and be a gospel witness to others is by telling our story how did you come to know jesus how is your life different now 
while your story is not the gospel, it can be a path to tell the gospel to the person you're talking with. A person may think that the gospel is a lie, and perhaps if you start with the gospel, they may dismiss you entirely, but most people have a common human decency to listen to you and not call you a bald-faced liar when you tell your story. They may not want to believe like you do, but they'll at least hear your story. So why not tell them your story as an intro to be able to point them to the hope that's found in Christ? Like Paul, though, try to find a connection point in your story to the person you're talking to so that you can share it with confidence as he saw that Agrippa had some understanding of Judaism and so he started with that common point and then began to share his story to Agrippa. So I've got a couple of questions to ask you. You, you probably aren't surprised by that. I've got a couple of questions that are going to be on the screen and hopefully this first question makes sense now that we talked about goads. What goads are you kicking against? In other words, how are you resisting God's call or God's direction or God's dis discipline in your life? Let me address some ways that perhaps you're kicking against the goads. Some of you are not followers of Jesus. You maybe are a good moral person. Maybe you've been to church all your life. Maybe you've tried to do good things. You've had good thoughts. You're a good neighbor. You haven't ever killed anybody. You're a decent American, and you cheer for the cowboys, and we know you're a wonderful person. Okay, maybe that last one, maybe not, maybe not. I saw that, said that for my friend down here that cheers for another team. But the reality is, perhaps, the goad you're kicking against is saying yes to Jesus. You, you are doing it your own way. You don't want to submit to someone else. You don't want to call him Lord because you're large and in charge. You don't see a need for him because you're a good guy. You're not a bad person. Your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. But the reality is this, stop resisting Jesus. If he is calling your name, say yes to him. If you're hearing that you're a sinner in need of salvation from one true God by the name of Jesus Christ, say yes to him. There's others of you that you're already a follower of Jesus, but you need to stop kicking against the goads and you need to begin to obey God full stop. You need to begin to submit to him totally and completely. You need to um, start sharing the gospel. You need to confess a secret sin. Here's a newsflash. Your secret sin is not so secret, God knows all about it. Your secret sin may not be all that secret because your attitude and reaction to other people is probably reflecting that, that sin that's buried down deep inside of you. What is the goad you're kicking against? Stop resisting God's plan, purpose, and will in your life and say yes to him. Tell your story. Second thing is this. Not only should we tell our story, but since our story is not the gospel, we have to actually share the gospel to be a witness, and so that is proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Don't stop at telling your story. Perhaps the first time you talk to your friend, you need to tell your story, and you don't have the opportunity to preach the gospel yet, but the next time you get with them, go back to the story and go, you remember how I told you my life was changed? Now, can I tell you a little bit more about the specifics of it? And then you can begin to proclaim or preach or teach or share the gospel. Here's some things about the gospel. I want to share with us what the key gospel message is. Then we're going to look at some benefits of the gospel, and then we're going to look at a proper response of the gospel. Here's the first one. Key gospel message is found in verse 23. The key gospel message is found in 23 when Paul says this. The Christ must suffer 
and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles. The gospel message is this, that Jesus would be sent by God, Jesus, fully God, fully man, the Son of God, sent by God to live a life and end up suffering, dying on the cross, and being buried and raised on the third day. You're like, how is that the gospel message? That Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and Jesus was raised. Like, how is that a message that impacts my life? Like, that has nothing to do with me. That was 2,000 years ago. Here's how it applies to our life. The Bible is clear that God made us to bring glory to him. God made us to be in right communi communion with him, relationship with him. But we can look back no further than the third chapter of the Bible where sin entered to the world. And the reality is that mankind forever has chosen to sin and rebel against God and do things our own way. And whenever we do that, that God separates us from himself. He is holy, he is perfect, he is righteous, he is unblemished, and he can have nothing to do with sin. And so he separates us. In fact, if you go back and look at Genesis 3, we see that he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and weren't walking in close communion with him any longer because of their sin. And yet it didn't stop there that God provided a way for that restoration to take place so that they could be in right standing with him again. And so your sin separates you from God. Your sin brings, my sin brings death and destruction and eternal separation from a holy perfect God but thank God he sent his son Jesus that he would make a way for salvation to be possible so here's the deal God's word is clear you and I are sinners in need of a savior and you are not your savior your actions are not your savior your reading the Bible is not your savior you're giving an offering to the church or an alms to the poor or being an all-around good guy is not your salvation your salvation is one thing only one person only and that is Jesus Christ Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but by me and the reason is, is because he lived a life that you and I cannot perfect without sin without blemish he did not deserve a death and yet he willingly laid down his life and died your death my death that we deserve taking all of our sin upon himself that we might not have to suffer the wrath of God he died and was put in a tomb for three days and on the third day he was raised again overcoming sin and death and the grave and everything Satan throws our way have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ the one who came and lived a perfect life, died a death you deserve, was raised on the third day and brings right standing with God again. Through faith, by God's grace, and not works that we do. That's the gospel message. Share that with others around you. Here's the second part of proclaiming the gospel. We should proclaim the benefits of, the, of belief in the gospel. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, Jesus, said, uh, Jesus is speaking to Paul, and he says this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let's walk through those real quickly. He says that if you believe in the gospel, that your eyes will be open. You'll see God for who he is. You'll see your sin for what it is and your need for him. You'll turn from darkness to light. And what he means by that is you'll begin to walk in the ways of God instead of walking in things contrary to him. That you'll walk in his power and his strength. 
that, that you'll receive forgiveness of your sins, that all of our sins that we will ever commit are forgiven and washed clean whenever we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says at the end of that verse that we find a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, he puts us in his family. We are adopted into his family when we place our faith and our trust in him. So, I know I just talked 133 miles an hour. I want to ask a couple of questions as it relates to the gospel, the gospel message, and sharing the gospel. And here are the questions. When is the last time you proclaimed the gospel? What's keeping you from doing so? You're like, the last time I proclaimed the gospel was exactly never. The last time I proclaimed the gospel was when the preacher asked me what salvation means. Hear me out, guys. If you're a follower of Jesus, I am not trying to shame you into sharing the gospel. Please hear me say that. But what I am saying is the Word of God says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called and commissioned to be an apostle, uh, to be a witness, I'm sorry, not an apostle, to be an, a witness to Jesus Christ. And so therefore, by the very definition of being a follower of Jesus, we are called to tell others the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel? And why has it been that long? And what can you do to begin to respond to God's call to share the gospel? I want to land here. I talked about how sometimes we don't share our faith, and one way that we can begin that process is by simply telling our story, but that we can't stop there because that's not the gospel message. We have to then share the literal gospel message with those around us. But as we do that, as we tell our story, as we share the gospel, we have to trust the results to God. We have to trust the results to God. It's not us manufacturing anything. We see that at the end of this chapter. So I'm going to begin in verse 24, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, and here's what it says. And as he was saying these things, as Paul preached these things in his defense, Festus the governor said to him with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. You think resurrection from the dead is possible? You are a lunatic. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words, the complete opposite of what you accuse me of. And then he looks at Agrippa, because he's been preaching to Agrippa the whole time, and he goes, for example, the king, the king knows about these things. He knows these things are true, and to him I speak boldly. He definitely does. He looks to the king, and he says, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice because none of this has happened in the dark corner. And then he looks at King Agrippa in verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I, I love that. Like he asks him a question. He goes, we know the answer. You believe in the prophets. He's going, you've got enough Judaism in you to believe the uh, prophets are, are, are real and they said true things. And what he's saying is if you believe the prophets, you have to believe the resurrection because the prophets pointed to the resurrection. Well, Agrippa does the politically correct thing and doesn't answer the question. And instead, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He's like, no, like, I'm not going to believe all this stuff you're saying. I'm not going to answer your question. I'm just not going to believe in the gospel. And Paul said, 
whether short or long, I would to God. This is a way of him saying, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for the chains. I want you to know the power of Christ. I don't want you to be in prison, but I want you to know Jesus is your Savior. And then it says, the king rose, the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, they withdrew to each other and they said, this man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so basically they're saying, this guy's not guilty. We're not going to believe his story, but he's not guilty, but he's appealed to Caesar. So he's going to Caesar. And so we know that Paul's going to end up in Rome. But let's look at this section for just a second with this idea that we should trust the results to God. Does Paul force them to become believers in Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Does he withhold any punches? Absolutely not. He looks at Agrippa, he gives him a chance to respond to the gospel, and if Agrippa responds or not, he's going to be okay with that, and he's going to move on through regardless, right? He says, you should believe this, and he doesn't like lay down and quit, he just trusts God with the results. Paul boldly says that he isn't crazy, he points back to Agrippa and calls Agrippa to respond to the gospel. Now, here's something we need to see. Just as Paul preaches the gospel and then calls his audience to believe in the gospel, we are to do the same thing. That part of sharing the gospel is to then ask them if they want to say yes to Jesus. It doesn't just mean preach the gospel, step aside, and never ask them to make that consideration. It's not like, okay, here's the gospel. You don't have to believe it on your end. It just works for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. Let me tell you what the gospel is. No, you need to preach the gospel in such a way that you call boldly for the audience or the person to consider the claims of Christ, and yet you allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do their work, and you don't try to become the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so what we see here is that Paul is being faithful as he boldly and truthfully proclaims the gospel. Paul is not unsuccessful in his effort to be a witness, is he? You could go, well, nobody got saved that day. He wasn't very successful. No, success or faithfulness to being a witness for God has nothing to do with whether people come to faith or not. It has everything to do with what you are called to do, and that is to simply truthfully, boldly, lovingly, compellingly share the gospel and then allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. And yet, we see Paul has a very deep desire to see everyone come to faith. And that's why wherever he went, that's why he says, I've become all things to all people that by all means, um, I'm butchering my paraphrase of that, that by all means some will come to faith, right? Look down at verse 29. Paul says, Agrippa, you said in a short time, are you going to convince me to be a Christian? He says, Paul says, I don't care. I don't care whether it takes a short amount of time or a long amount of time. I would to God, I pray to God that not only you, but everyone listening would come to know Jesus. So here's the deal. I know some of you 
have never met me before. I know some of us don't know each other well. I know some of you may not know who this Jesus guy is. I know some of you may be kicking the tires a little bit, trying to figure out if you believe in God and church and Jesus and what's this all about. But I'm asking you, if God is at work in your life today, and not that you had a moment just like Paul where a light shone down on you and you fell to the ground, but is God talking you to, the, to you today? If he is, do not resist him. Turn to him today for salvation. Trust in him. It is my desire that everyone in the sound of my voice, not because of me, but because of the gospel truth, would say yes to Jesus. I didn't say, are you a good church member? I didn't say, are you good to the preacher? I didn't say, did you bring me a Dr. Pepper last week because you know that I like the Dr. Pepper. I don't care what kind of good morals you have. Well, I do. Don't play that sound bite. I do want you to have good morals. But it's not your morals that make you right with God. It's saying yes to his work. Repenting of sin, trusting in Jesus for salvation. And if you are a follower of Jesus, is that your prayer? that everyone you interact with, everyone you share the gospel with, that they would come to faith. And so, I know I just asked you a couple of questions, but here are the real questions I was going to ask you. Here they are on the screen. Is your mission to be a faithful witness of the gospel? Now, what I'm not asking here is, is it your, is it your, is it your mission? If you're a follower of Jesus, the answer is yes. But I'm asking, are you identifying and seeing and understanding and comprehending and living out the fact that your mission is to be a faithful witness of the gospel. And then right along with that, because I don't want to just say yes, no, what adjustments is God calling you to make in your life so that you can share the gospel? This morning, this morning, stop kicking against the goads. Some of you are resisting Jesus, and you've been in church for 40 years, and every time you're there, you resist saying yes to Jesus, and you're acting like you're a good Christian person, but the truth of the matter is you've never repented of your sins, trusted in Jesus' finished work on the cross and in his resurrection, and today you need to say yes to him and stop kicking against the goads. Don't care about what other people think, because they'll be happy that you said yes to Jesus. Some of you, you're in church for the very first time, and, and this is your first chance to respond to the gospel because maybe you haven't heard the gospel before. Say yes to the gospel. If you're not sure what the gospel is, come talk to me, and let's talk about what the gospel is so that you can understand who Jesus is so you can experience a right relationship with God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, stop resisting God and his work in your life. You know, over the last five years, I've had the pri privilege, pleasure, I tried to combine those words into one, it didn't work well. I've, I've had the honor of being your pastor and being the pastor of this church. And it's exciting to see how God is 
catching the attention of his people and doing great things in and among his church here in this church family. Let us not quench what God is doing. Let us say yes to him. And this morning when we stand to worship, we'll have a chance to respond. You can respond there at your seat by praying at your seat. You can kneel at your seat. You can bring someone with you to pray here at the altar. You can come and pray with me. You can fill out your connection card. And the second song, the offering plate will be passed. You can put an offering there. You can put your connection card there. But don't walk from this place kicking against the goads say yes to Jesus let me pray for us God I thank you for sustaining me today God I thank you that my my cough didn't just explode all over the place God I thank you that you gave me enough caffeine or something to be alert today God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you for the gospel. God, I thank you for the witness and example that Paul shares with us. And I thank you that he's still not the hero of the story. You are. But God, he shows us that we're to be faithful witnesses to the gospel. God, teach us and train us to do that, whether it's by telling our story or by using another method that we would find opportunities to bridge the gap so we can share the gospel boldly and confidently and trust you with the results. And God, that's the very thing I want to do right now. I have done my best that I know how to do today to preach your word, and now I trust you with the results. May you be glorified and honored in this place, and may we say yes to you. And God, may we not just say yes to you in this room, but may our lives be literally changed so that as we go from this place, we live a life of yes to you. It's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's worship, and you respond as the Lord leads you. I'll be in front if you'd like to come and pray with me.
as we uh, walk out of this room this morning, may we walk out to live faithful lives as witnesses to the gospel. And if you need to talk with someone this morning before you leave, I'm available. Other folks in our church are available. We'd love to sit and visit with you about what the gospel is and how you can live that out in your life and pray alongside of you. But as we leave this place, may we go out knowing with confidence and living out with confidence the fact that we are called to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church, all to the glory of God. You're dismissed.